You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hi, everybody. This is Brady Hoke. And if I know one thing, it's bad college football. That's why I'm here to tell you about the Shutdown Fullcast, a college football podcast so bad that it's mostly not even about football. Every Wednesday, you can listen to Spencer Hall, Jason Kirk, and Ryan Nanny ramble about grocery stores, John Gruden's secrets to everlasting wealth, and unsolved murders. The Shutdown Fullcast. We're very sorry. Welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast. I'm Mike Prada. We're doing our team previews, and we're on team number 19, the Atlanta Hawks, a team that has kind of floundered around in the last couple of years ever since the 60-win team. And this year, finally, and I think to the delight of many of their hardcore fans, finally embraced a long rebuilding effort. So they're not going to be very good this year, but I think better times are around on the horizon. We've got two great guests to talk about how we got here with the Hawks and what the next steps are. Uh, we have Brad Rowland. He's the editor of Peachtree Hoops, SB Nation's Hawks site. Also runs the Locked On Hawks podcast. And we've got Harry Lyles Jr. He's uh, also a Hawks fan. He's NFL writer for SBNation.com. But he's also his passion is the NBA, and he's done some writing for Peachtree Hoops. Two people that not only know the team really well, but know the market really well. And I think to understand how the Hawks got here... You have to know the market. So we spend a lot of time talking about those market factors, how a team that was 60 wins a couple years ago slowly broke its way up to where it is today. And then in the second half of the podcast, we talk a little bit more about this year's team, reasons to get excited, reasons to watch, and all that. I think you'll enjoy it. This is a Limited Upside podcast. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Leave us a review on iTunes if you really like these season previews or if you think there's something we can improve. We like hearing the feedback either way. You can also send us questions for these and uh, for all podcasts we do coming into the season by tweeting at us at limited underscore upside. Again, this is preview number 19 of 30. So we have all the best. We're going in reverse win order. So we still have all the best teams yet to come as we lead into the season. If you want to send us a question for our experts, you can always do that by tweeting at that link. You can find us anywhere you get your podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and especially on SPNation.com as well. But until then, enjoy. This is the Atlanta Hawks preview on the Limited Upside Podcast. Hey, it's the Limited Upside Podcast, Atlanta Hawks preview, we're number 19 of 30, and we have two great guests to talk about the Atlanta Hawks. We've got Brad Rowland from Peachtree Hoops. He came on the show last year. We've got Harry Lyles. He's uh, one of our NFL writers, but secretly kind of prefers to write about the NBA. Is that what you're telling me earlier? Oh, yes, that's uh, that's quite true. Not Not a very well-kept secret. Okay, so well now we've exposed it to everyone outside the everywhere. We're talking about the Atlanta Hawks, who look very different than what they did last year. Uh, when we last heard them, Paul Millsap was jabbing his uh, shooting form into Markeith Morris's arm and drawing seven zillion fouls in a six-game series loss. I'm not bitter or anything. I'm just pointing it out. Um, <laughs> since then, uh, a lot has changed. Millsap is no longer there. Uh, the team is clearly rebuilding. Uh, Harry, you were saying before we got on that you're actually really excited about this year. Uh, do you think that, like, can you talk me through why you're actually happy about where the team is at? So I am of the rare breed that unrealistically wanted the Hawks to blow it up after the 61 season, which no NBA team is going to blow up a team that won 60 games the year before, right? Right. But they they shot at a historic clip for what was it 19 games 20 games and the, it just wasn't there i mean like obviously like you know that was a great team fun team to watch played you know awesome defense loved mario carroll miss you um you know but it's like it, we knew that the ceiling that was the ceiling like you you weren't going to beat the cavaliers you even if you did beat the cavaliers you weren't going to beat the warriors like so you know, why kind of like hold this thing over your head? And, you know, I would I would just wanted them to get to the point where it's like, all right, let's hit the reset button. Hopefully we can draft the next, you know, top five NBA player, because right now it's 
you know, you're, you're paying a lot of guys and are going to win, you know, 40 to 50 games a year. But, you know, I mean, what does that get you? I mean, we know what to expect. Like, people in Atlanta finally got used to the Hawks being in the playoffs, so people aren't coming to the games anymore. So it's like, I just wanted to see them start over. Like, you know, give me something new to watch. Even if, you know, they're not great for, you know, a few years, at least we have some young players to watch grow and develop. Brad, do you find that the Hawks fan base uh, share in general? I know it's like such a large group of people with a zillion different opinions, but what do you think is the general mood of the fan base in a word? Do you think it mirrors where, what Harry's thinking, or do you think there is some frustration that they're going to be so probably be really bad and they are starting over? Yeah, as you kind of put it there, I think it's it, there's some divides within the fan base. I think the general feeling I would say is probably uneasy. I think people know. Deep down, this is what they had to do. But at the same time, um, there's certainly a segment of the fan base not looking forward to this transition period in which they're probably going to be bad. Even there's the there's the delusional side, even with people that I, I do find to be generally uh, not not crazy, uh, sort of talking themselves into this team being better than it's going to be. That kind of image don't you know, it's, it's tough to wrap your your head and more importantly, your heart, I guess, around a very, very bad basketball team, which is what this is going to be. But I think most of it's just people that, that were sort of resigned to the fate, although the, the, there will always be that sort of segment that believe in the team. And even last year, even as it was as it was sort of going down in flames um, with the Dwight Howard experiment, et cetera, people were still trying to talk themselves out of a rebuild. And uh, I was one of those, not quite as early as Harry, I will say, but one of those people banging the drum for quite some time that they had that they had to uh, they had to do this. I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not sure I've agreed with every single thing they've done. But uh, once we got to the point where, uh, you know, even a month or two into last season, it was pretty apparent that everything that everything that they actually decided to do last summer that I hated at the time was not going to work and this is kind of going to be the only option so most people i think are on our side of this thing now you know how early they got to that um it's kind of up for debate but most people i've found that interact with me on peaster hoops and sort of on twitter and those things are generally okay with it even if they're not too excited about it it's unfamiliar feeling i mean the hawks have made the playoffs 10 years in a row right it's 2000 or nine years in a row uh no it's 10 it is 10 you know it is 10 yeah 10 10 years in a row, and they had so many teams in that stretch that were pretty good. They were sort of a playoff mainstay. You knew exactly what you were getting from those Joe Johnson teams every year. You know, they kind of didn't disappoint. And then you knew uh, the 61 team was really unexpected, but I think you kind of knew what you were getting from these teams the last two years. And there's a degree of uncertainty that must be difficult, but you're right. At a certain point, the bandit had to be ripped off. Like, they could not keep going. And I think even this is where I want to kind of start this podcast. Even internally, it was very hard for them to rip the Band-Aid off because, I mean, we could go all the way back to that 61 team. You know, as Harry said, I think everybody kind of understood that that season was magical and probably very difficult to repeat. But it's really hard to, when you're a market that is really struggling to get people behind a team and they finally have a team that's really, whether they win or not, is, is fun and interesting and the talk of the league. I mean, I love that team. I think Hawks fans are going to be talking about that team for a long time. I will be thinking about that team for a long time. It's really hard to rip that bandit off, even though you know that I think everybody kind of knew right at the start that that team was not going to have the staying power necessary because all those guys were older. Yeah, and they really, um, you know, got the best out of all the players that, you know, uh, otherwise, you know, were kind of like journeymen or like looking to find a place and you know it was kind of like a, a team that was like kind of not entirely but you know some junkyard dogs and and you know they all meshed together well you know played some you know great defense and stuff like that and yeah that was a really fun team to watch and and this town's going to talk about that team you know until the end of time um you know because for the longest time like hawks fans have always like you know been able to find like you know the beauty in the sadness if you will like growing up i know like you know the hawks weren't great but uh loved guys like sharif abdurrahim like local product uh, things of that nature, but you know, like, you know, that's I mean, that's what the Hawks fan base does, and that kind of goes back to like what Brad was saying about like how a lot of people, and I don't know if this is exclusive to the Hawks fan base, but just because I'm like so tied into it, like, I understand that like it feels like they're more optimistic than any other sports team or, or sports franchise fan base, like in any sport, like the Hawks wow, could a bold clearly have. I mean, I mean, just just for me, I could probably find somebody that will tell you that the Hawks are still going to win 50 games this year, like without a problem, like that. They really believe in it. like there's just one guy at my gym that like swears Mike Muscala is going to be the next great power forward in the NBA. <laughs> that's just that's just that's just wow. how a lot of Hawks fans are. I mean, like, it's unbelievable. Wow. 
Oh, that's uh, that's interesting. I never would have thought someone would have given the Knicks fans a run for their money, uh, but I guess the Hawks did. Uh, let's talk a little bit about how they deconstructed that team. So it sort of comes in bits and pieces. You start first with Damari Carroll needing too much money, and you have to pay Millsap, and you don't have enough left over for Carroll. So that's sort of already chipping away at the foundation. Then you have the whole Jeff Teague, Dennis Schroeder thing where, you know, one's on the rise and the other is sort of there and you eventually have to make a decision there. And they sort of dawdled on doing that. There are a lot of moments over the last few years where I think the Hawks could have pulled, ripped the bandaid off and they just were like, Oh man, this is really going to hurt. And they didn't. And so looking back, do you think that it was realistic, Brad, for the Hawks to rip the bandaid off sooner instead of kind of patching things up for as long as they did. Yeah, I think they should have gone they, they should have and could have gone sooner. Just how much sooner sort of the point of contention because uh, there was buzz, you know, even during the 2015-2016 season when they were coming down off the high of 60 wins that they that team ended up winning, you know, high 40s. Um, but that was, you know, with, with the exception of Demari Carroll who they did the right thing and letting go as much as I love Demari that that contract that they were that he was given by Toronto even at the time um, I think the Hawks were kind of surprised they got that much money and they, and they made the right to call to let him go on that. But, you know, that's that, that was still a very good basketball team. But at the same time, there were some decisions coming up after that. They knew Al Horford was coming up. As you mentioned, they knew they had the point guard decision to make. And they at least explored, um, I think, reportedly. And what I've heard since since then, they explored at, at that trade deadline, maybe even moving on from Al Horford. A couple of guys who, you know, Al was going to be expiring contract, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they at least explored it then. They explored it again that summer before they took the plunge with Dwight Howard, which we can get into if you want. And then I think the, the the time that I think it's kind of not even up for debate for me that they absolutely should have pulled the plug was last year uh, during the season at the trade deadline when they sort of inexplicably pulled, pulled Paul Millsap back from the trade market when that team was uh, clearly not going to do any damage in the playoffs. That was, you know, sort of famously the worst net rating team in, in the entire playoffs. Yep. <laughs> Coming into the year, they, they, won, they, they won 43 games, but that was not really even a 500 team um, that we saw. So I think that was sort of the dividing line where it became very bad to not blow it up. And I said that at the time, even beforehand, that just didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, knowing that at least in my gut, I felt like it was going to be a situation where your options were going to be pay Paul Millsap way too much money or let him go for nothing. And that didn't really make sense. I mean, if you want to get into it, I mean, the first, the first thing they did, they sort of moved in that direction by trading Cal Cora for a first round, for a first round pick. And I, I love that. It was like, all right, here we go. And then they just didn't do it. It was kind of weird. We were going to talk a little bit about sort of the competing market forces and people that were behind that because I think a lot of it has to do with uh, who was in charge at the time and there's so much going on there. I just – what – let's look at all these three flashpoint moments. The 2016 trade deadline where I believe the Hawks were 33-27. and 27. They were slightly over. They were underachieving. And then they play really well in the second half after they don't trade anyone – and then they lose Al Horford for nothing. Like what at that time, what do you think stopped the Hawks from blowing it up? What do you guys think was the factor? You know, and, and is it the same factor as what convinced them to instead after Horford left for nothing to then try to sign Dwight Howard and patch it back up together again? I mean, what 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 factors do you think slowed them down? I think what it was for me is kind of what we talked about at the very beginning here, is that they they just won sixty games. And they were, I know they were underachieving, but it's, it's, it was pretty difficult for them to justify sort of their best player at the time. And we, their one, a player in Al Horford moving on from that guy who they homegrown, they, they drafted, um, and who was still, you know, a top 25 player in the league to move on from him, even, you know, less than, you know, eight, eight, nine, eight, nine, 10 months after you made a 60 win run was pretty aggressive. I mean, I, I would have been okay with it at the time, but it would have been a pretty aggressive move for them. So I, I understood why they didn't even know. Uh, and honestly, I mean, Harry might feel differently than I do on this, but at the time, I think we all felt like they were going to sign Al Horford that summer. I mean, I was, I was expecting them to re-sign Al Horford, mm-hmm. especially after they didn't trade him. I was kind of thinking, all right, they're going to give him the max if they have to, and they'll just bring him back. And yeah, then that- when they didn't do that, it made it made it made it look even more silly to me. Yeah, that was a little. That's sort of where I'm kind of getting at with all of this stuff is that it seems like they have competing agendas. That you know, because wasn't the story that Horford they didn't offer him the most they could. And to me, if you're not going to trade him and you're not going to offer him the most you could, like exactly why those two teams seem that seems incongruent to do that. They, so they sort of went they sort of went down with the ship, saying that they offered the most money. 
in terms of them versus an, an opponent. Obviously, he took he quote unquote took less money to go to Boston. At the same time, like I, I, I kind of agree with you. Like you can't go into that negotiation and be unwilling to pay him the max after you don't trade him. It's kind of like you have to if he leaves on his own and he, he chooses that decision, then that's that's the risk you're taking. But to say that you're going to go in there and sort of draw a hard line with Al Horford to say, we're not going to pay you more than this. You have to be, I mean, that kind of undoubtedly increases the, the chances that he leaves. And, you know, the way that he left was sort of weird because they thought they had him back for a brief moment, et cetera. Sort of some of the reporting there is pretty interesting. But at the end of the day, they they did not offer him a five-year max contract. And if they if they did, I think it's pretty um, well uh, well considered and well, well accepted that he would have come back. So that's kind of on them at the end of the day. So, Harry, do you think they overplayed their hand there? I think, I mean, Brad, Brad, you know, laid it out pretty nicely. And I mean, it also goes with what you were saying, too. I think there was, you know, mixed agendas there. And there was a quote from Tony Ressler. I want to say it was in, uh, I think, June, like late June or something like that. It was right before they had gotten a schlank. And he basically said that, like, you know, he was going to have the final call on all decisions. And I think that kind of hurt, you know, uh, Wilcox and Budenholzer kind of because like, yeah, I mean, like a lot of the decisions that they made, like didn't make sense. And they seemed like really like kind of indecisive. Right. Um, and I think the the real motive behind those was it was a combo of things. It was one. It was the 60 win season. Um, and, you know, I, this city like there's there's not a whole lot of things that get the city excited. I mean, like we love our sports, but there's not a whole lot of success in them. But <laughs> I don't, it's something about a football team and uh, a scoreline no that's very memorable. About. I don't no know. I, I don't. I don't follow no the idea. sport, so I don't know. I just heard some no references reflection. to that. Yeah, I, I don't know. No idea. But anyways, we're not going to talk about that today. <laughs> um, this is an NBA podcast. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean between between the sixty one season and then I think a big part of that was like they didn't want to lose any more fans in the arena than they already had. Right. Um, because attendance was already not great. Um, Chris Vivamore, who's the local AJC writer here, um, he had come out with a report that had showed, I can't remember the exact figures, but the Hawks were giving away tons of tickets just to fill up the arena. And that was even during the 61 season. Um, so I think the moves, like, they do they want to keep out Horford? Sure. Do they want to pay him? Not really. Um, that's why you heard, um, you know, ownership say that they were going to keep Millsap. But then, you know, when they made the GM move, it's like, all right, nope. And that's when you right. kind of saw that, uh, you know, the, the flip switch or the switch flip, excuse me. And, um, you know, it's, it, it just it was it was totally different. Like the Hawks finally started making all the moves that at least, you know, myself wanted to see for the past couple of years. Like, you know, just blow it up, man. Start it over like this right. is not it. You know, try to draft that franchise player or two and, you know, move along. And the ticket thing was sort of what was behind the Dwight Howard signing ultimately, right? Or was there – because it didn't seem like it made much sense basketball-wise even at the time. I think the the logic was local kid, maybe he'll feel more comfortable and, you know, we don't really want to rebuild yet, so let's roll the dice here. Was that – or was it was kind of along those lines, right? That was certainly the feeling. <laughs> yeah. And, and honestly, on, on that front, I mean, that we can talk about that forever. I think uh, I've, I've sort of exhausted my memory of, of the Dwight Howard era. Right. Um, but at, at, at the same time, like that failed spectacularly. And it was always going to in terms of selling tickets. You know, Dwight Howard, for as much as he was a tremendous basketball player in his prime, uh, was never going to be this uh, this ticket sales force. Like he's not a fun basketball player to watch at this point. Right. He never even even at even in his prime, he was more of a guy who was enjoyed by diehards like us right i never i would never think like oh man i gotta buy a ticket to watch dwight howard tonight like right he I was never really thought first, that <laughs> like, no i mean even even when he was you know a top two three two three player in the league it was it was all the um the intricate stuff that he did and the way that he dominated defensively on the glass like he wasn't like this pretty player to watch so and then at the end of the day they, they were a bottom five team last year in ticket sales you know part of that's that they weren't playing as well but that clearly did not work the ticket sales thing and obviously on the on the court i mean people there's 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 still this segment of the of the uh, hawks population that really like dwight howard and sort of still buy it even now which i can't i honestly can't believe after watching it for a full year that someone would think that was a good idea um but Love people it. still buy it i mean the hawks but the hawks somebody there whether it be tony wrestler which is my uh expectation is that it, that was an ownership driven move that's never been on the record put anywhere um, so I don't want to say it with like with full confidence, but it felt to me like it, that was the owner um, sort of driving that train to say, look, if you're going to let Al go, we better we better sign a big name. And look, Dwight's, Dwight's from here. and He's a center. Go get him. Right. That kind of stuff. <laughs> anyway. 
Yeah, and then that leads to what Harry was talking about with the dueling uh, interests is exactly what felled them when they trade Corver because that was about the team was struggling at that point. They're playing really poorly. They had a great start and then they just totally tanked in December. They get a, a valley pick, but every all the veterans on the team are kind of like, whoa, 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 right? Like, why are you trading Kyle Corver <laughs> and why are we giving up? Like, we're still in the playoff picture. And then they go on a five-game winning streak and suddenly Millsap's off the market. Is that an oversimplification? That, that feels like what happened there. And there's also the competing part of where, at this point, because of all the front office upheaval, and I think you mentioned Wes Wilcox, the assistant GM, there's obviously a lot going on with um, some of the allegations with Danny Ferry um, that we uh, don't need to get into, but I think everybody knows what, what happened there and how, how uh, problematic that all was. Mike Budenholzer is now the coach and the GM, basically, and so he, there's an interest in what happens in a lot of these cases where the, the coach's interests kind of outweigh the need for the long term. And so then they win like five in a row and suddenly Millsop's off the market, and then it's just like they, the rest of the season was, yeah, they made the five seed and got the six games. But what real, at the end of the day, what really was accomplished there? I mean, that's kind of what happened again with Corver, right? I, w- I would say so, only because, uh, I mean, the, the five-game winning streak is sort of the flashpoint that no one will acknowledge. I'm glad that you remember that and then sort of pointing it out. This is something <laughs> I've said, too. Like, they, I'm, I'm sure they would never say that their entire plan changed on five games, but it certainly felt that way um, because all the rumors were out there and whether they just didn't get what they thought they wanted. It just didn't make sense to me to, to pull him back. If you if you want to examine the market and tell me that you don't think that you're going to get enough for Paul Millsap, you know, I, I I probably wouldn't have agreed with that, but I wouldn't have been um, so what I think is fairly outrageous was to pull him off the market in January and never put him back on. It didn't make a, much, a ton of sense to me knowing that. I, I mean, obviously, I know the GM changed this summer, but I mean, obviously, they were not married to Paul Millsap in the way that you would. It was very similar to Al Horford, although somewhat different in that Paul was older. It's a different circumstance, but I just don't see how you pull the guy off the market, don't even take offers, when I think it was fairly clear to watch the rest of the league that the upside of that team was a first-round exit, and they, they had a first-round exit. They got they overachieved to get the five seed. It wasn't like this team you know, broke down after that. I mean, they were on pace to be you know an eight seed at the time. They were somewhere around the 500 mark, and they ended up winning 43 games and getting very lucky to get the five seed it was trust me i was thrilled as a wizards fan oh i'm sure i mean that was the the matchup (laughs) the team that we got to play thrilled because milwaukee was was like oh god i'm so scared of them and you couldn't you couldn't have found a in what what i would term as an intelligent human that was picking the hawks in that series it wasn't like right this is not just atlanta sports fan being defeatist like that they were a solid solid underdog in that series it was like this situation where if, if they had won it would have been a, a shock to basically everyone barring some sort of massive injury so i don't know it just it never made sense to me they were also thinking i mean the owner came out and said right that like hey paul Millsap's going to be back but it sounds like harry the flashpoint was that tra- which travel schlank coming in and being like you know what like I don't really care what happened before me. The one question I have, though, is I'm surprised that it was such an easy, quote-unquote, demotion for Coach Bud. You know, what what exactly is the power structure at this point? I think now, you know, they finally have some structure. It's, it kind of seemed ever since the whole fairy thing, like, you know, they had assigned roles and, and things of that nature, but it, it always kind of seemed like that was kind of just up in the air, and it was kind of just like, you know, front office by committee. Um which and you know the coach GM thing has like never really worked for anybody you know um, it hasn't really worked out for the Clippers and you know they're, they've obviously changed that and um, you know I think them getting Jerry West is one of the best things that happened to any team this offseason but right. that's beside the point um, I mean the Spurs I guess I think yeah yeah <laughs> but they have RC Buford and, um, and so they, there's a much different relationship there totally totally and I think what the the Hawks kind of needed that change. Um, and I think the reason that Schlenk has been able to work the way that he has is because ownership's like, all right, this guy like works for the Warriors. Like they, you know, turned because the Warriors, people forget, man, they were a disaster. Like, mm-hmm. you know, in the in the days like, you know, drafting Curry and then Thompson. I remember Clay Thompson's first like 20 games of his NBA career. I was like, oh, my gosh, why did they draft this guy? Like he was just terrible. And then, you know, they made something out of Draymond Green and. I think that's kind of like what the Hawks are like trying to do right now. Like, you know, work your way up through the draft. Like, you know, they're not paying anybody right now. Um, And then, you know, they're obviously going to 
hopefully try to get lucky. Some of these guys pan out, you know, maybe able to sign one big name and then boom, they've got their, you know, their own little warriors. Right. I think that's that's kind of like what the idea is here. And I think that's kind of the hope that everybody's being sold on and, and are buying into. So. I mean, I think that that change, that difference and that solid structure uh, is going to help the Hawks uh, moving forward for sure. There are a few steps in between getting to the Warriors part. But, yeah, absolutely. I think mean, it's a good start. <laughs> a few. Um, Just a few. So we're going to talk about the team this year, I promise, uh, to everyone. But one last thing I'm curious about, uh, and both of you are Atlanta-based, so you know this. You can answer this really well. We Atlanta, as you guys have all mentioned, it's always been teetering on the edge of nobody really supporting this team. And there are a whole lot of complicated socioeconomic factors that go into that that we can dive into a little bit, but I, I think that would take a long time to really suss out. The the question all this time, I think that was sort of the fear behind the entire way the Hawks were built was like, oh, we can't rebuild. Nobody's going to show up. So now they're rebuilding. Are people not going to show up? Like, what is, what is going to happen now that the team is – legitimately going to be a bad team that is going to take their lumps for a while is is the fan support really going to just dry up or is it going to be that it won't be that different than what it was like when they were pretty good i I think they're going to finish 29th or 30th in ticket sales this year Mm -hmm. um and that's that that wouldn't be that crazy as you kind of said there even when you know aside from the 160 win year which they basically sold out every game in the second half of the season because they were so hot even in even in their fifty win, um, in, even in, in the fifty win range, there with Joe Johnson and into the Al Horford era, they were still routinely, you know, bottom six or seven in the league in ticket sales. Um, so this is not going to be a franchise that suddenly sells tickets. They do a better job now, and I will say the fan base itself has grown in the last decade because they do a better job now, especially in the post Atlanta Spirit Group ownership group. They have Steve Coonan, who's this great CEO that gets it. Mm-hmm. Um, he's smart, but at the same time, Atlanta. My famous line is that Atlanta is an NBA city not a Hawk city. Um, if you look mm-hmm. at NBA TV, M- NBA TV ratings in Atlanta are always great for national games. They're one of the top 10 markets for the NBA, but they're not Hawks fans. Uh, and without getting too deep into that, as you kind of said there, there's a lot of transplants, a lot of, a lot of just people that like basketball that never got on the Hawks bandwagon. They're not Hawks fans. This fan base is just, it's actually kind of stunningly small. When you think about the actual true Hawks fan, it's a pretty darn small Right. pocket of what is a of what is a huge city so when you when you factor in the fact that, that they're going to be bad this year and they don't really have that i mean part of it is that they haven't had a guy um even their best players have not been uh, very exciting you know joe johnson was never exciting al horford same paul Millsap the same i love all those guys but none of those guys are going to bring you to the arena and since dominique wilkins they haven't really had that guy that's right. part of it as well so i mean this year they have they have some fun young pieces they could be I think they'll probably be, actually be more fun to watch this year because last year was like pulling teeth for the most part in terms of just pure basketball. But yeah. the results are going to be bad. I mean, it is it is what it is. And if, if you if you if you look up in December and January and you're already out of it, I just don't see how they sell tickets aside from like when the Lakers come to town and when the Warriors come to town, like when everybody sells tickets. If you know for a Hornets game on a Tuesday, I just don't see anybody going to the arena. Harry, if if Steve Coonan came to you and said, you know, look, we're short of getting a Dominique style level of player. How do we get Hawks fans more in- invested in this, this team? How, how do we get Atlanta more invested in this team? What would be your advice to him? Man, that's, that's tough. Um, especially because I mean, you know, now you've got other interests in the city. Like, you know, we just got a soccer team now, Atlanta United shout out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the Falcons, even though they are coming off of, you know, a devastating game that I've, I've never heard of, um, <laughs> you know, they're, they're also, they're also exciting this year, you know, brand new stadium over there. But I think he's got the benefit of having the new arena. And I think at the very least, like he just needs to sell people on like, okay, like, you know, going to Hawks games is like a fun experience. Um, and the renovations that they're doing on Phillips arena look great. Um, and I think they're going to kind of have to take an Atlanta Braves approach because, you know, they too also got a new arena or stadium rather, but, um, you know, kind of sell the fan experience. Like you can come to Phillips arena and, you know, yeah, the Hawks are going to suck, but I mean, you can still have a good time while you're here. You know, like they're still connected to the scene and center for a lot of people like, you know, for people like me and Brad. I mean, like we're used to that stuff. Right. I mean, like we we grew up on this. But I mean, there's there's things to do outside of like having to watch this team, but also sell that young talent um, and just let people know, like, hey, like there is an end game here. Like, you know, we're not going to suck forever. Um, just kind of bear with us and. You know, just offer the fans, you know, what they can. And, and like Brad said, like Steve Coonan's done great. Um, 
you know, he's he's done a lot of things that changed that have, you know, made Hawks games a more pleasurable experience. Um, but he also joked uh, when he first took the job and said, you know, I used to go to go to Phillips Arena and go to Hawks games so I could get some work done because it was so empty and it was so quiet. And uh, this year might be one of those years. So, Steve <laughs> Coonan, if you're looking for a place to work, buddy, you know, uh, you know where to go. Yeah, section 105. <laughs> Sitting exactly. in the back. Yeah, and, and there's it's also there's you walk such a fine line too cuz you you don't want to I I remember I was uh, I'm longtime Washington fan and there was a time period where they were blatantly marketing the other team uh when they were so bad. It's like come see the other team and that's that can have damaging long-term effects where you have a fit, entire group of people that have very little pride in the team that they've they're covering and then it that takes generations to overcome and you don't want to go that mm-hmm. far there's also of course what a good experience is really depends on what type of person you are uh ethnically what type of person you are where you live and there's that whole e- element of it that goes into mm-hmm. atlanta that's such a unique thing so it's very difficult but um you know Nothing cures it better than having a good team, and I think the most important step is that they've take, they've decided they're going to take their lumps now, and maybe they'll build a team built to last. Um, we'll be right back. We're going to talk about that team finally that hopefully is built to last this year. This is the Limited Upside Podcast. Hello, Limited Upside fans. This is Todd Vanderwerf. I am here with a listening recommendation for you. It's my podcast. I think you're interesting. Every week I talk to some of the most interesting people who are shaping arts and entertainment, culture, and the media. Names you might know, names you might not know. Some of our recent guests have included Academy Award-winning documentarian Errol Morris, David Lowry, director of A Ghost Story, and some of my favorite film critics discussing their favorite summer movies of the 21st century. You can find I Think You're Interesting on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back. Limited Upside Podcast, Atlanta Hawks preview. Harry Lyles Jr. from SBNation.com. Brad Rowland from Peachtree Hoops. We probably should talk about this year's team a little bit, shouldn't we? I mean, that's kind of the whole point of what we're doing here. So uh, let's start with this question. Um, if you're advising someone that's in Atlanta in that is maybe not wants to get a little more into the Hawks this year but hasn't followed it too much, like who's the one player that you think they should focus most on, whether it's because this person is most enjoyable or most interesting, whether it's this one's going to be around a lot for the future, or – this one is going to determine what the future is for better or worse. What, uh, Harry, who would you recommend? I think for the people that are not into the Hawks right now, I would probably say John Collins only because like he's probably their most athletic and explosive player. It looks like at least based off, you can't really go off of what you saw in summer league, but I mean, the guy can fly, right? I mean, he's a great athlete, a good player. If he can match his or grow into his athleticism and, and get some, you know, solid NBA fundamentals, like he could be a really good player down the line. Um, as far as other players, I mean, like if you're trying to get into the Hawks, like, I mean, for the, for the person that might not be into him right now, um, you know, I would, I would definitely look at uh, DeAndre Benbury and Torian Prince and, uh, and obviously at Collins that mix because it's like, okay, you know, if the Hawks are going to turn this thing around, one of these guys has to be one of those pieces at least. Um, because if they don't, this this could be a much much longer fix. Um, you know, unless they win 25 games next year and then they draft the next LeBron James, which is probably not going to happen. But um, just to watch those young players, I think I would I would tell people like, hey, you know, just bear with them, check them out. Like, there's improvements to be made there, and, and even with uh, Dennis Schroeder, like, you know, this year we're going to see like what he's made of. Um, not necessarily, I don't necessarily expect him to take a big leap because the team is you know lacking you know good talent that's that that would help them contend the Eastern Conference, but. We're going to see, like, all right, is, is he going to be a leader this year? You know, is he going to be able to kind of help everybody stay cool? And, uh, you know, they're not going to win a whole lot of games, but is, is Dennis going to help them wins the ones, win the ones that they probably should? So Yeah. Brad, for someone who's following the team a little more closely, who would you say is sort of the most important player this year for the future of the franchise? 
It's really interesting the way you put that, because I would agree that Collins is the most marketable piece, but I'm, I'm not the hugest believer. I do like him more than I thought I would, um, but I don't think he's going to be some future st- some future star. I just don't really see that. There is some upside there. Um, I think Schroeder is easily the best player on the team right now at this moment, um, which, you know, he's going to he's going to be the guy filling the box score. So if you were trying to sell the team for this year as well, like that's the guy. Uh, but at the same time, I don't I don't think he's going to be anything more than maybe a league average starter um, in, in the future. He's not even there yet, despite the box score numbers. His you know, his numbers are very good um, in terms of just the raw counting stats. He's going to have the ball in his hands a ton. His usage rate is going to be off the charts, so he's going to put up some numbers. If you like, if you like fantasy basketball, you want Dennis Schroeder on your team this year, I will say. <laughs> um, but with, with that said, I, I actually think the best uh, the best on uh, the best on roster asset on this team is Torian Prince. I That's love just that my dude. opinion. I, I think... love the way that dude plays. He, he bugged yeah, the I... hell out of me in that Wizards series. I was like, God, I <laughs> wish that the Wizards had a player like that. I mean, it says a lot for Prince that he was able to sort of crack Mike Budenholzer's rotation on a playoff team as a rookie because Bud famously does not really like rookies. Uh, Prince is an older was an older rookie and now is an older second year player, but he's the type of three and D like combo forward type that you really that's kind of that sort of every team needs. You can really defend his position. Uh, you know, Bud's been hesitant to play him at, at power forward much, but even uh, if, even if it's just a pure three, there are like 15, 20 guys in the entire league that are like you know, real small forward size that can play on both ends of the floor. And he really looks to be that. So he's my favorite asset on the team. Um, you know, he's not a better player than Dennis Schroeder is right now, but if you ask me who I'd rather have in five years, I'll take Prince. That's a little bit of projection there, but I think he would be the guy for me. That's going to be the the biggest piece of the next great Hawks team. Um, that's on this roster right now. You know, Schroeder could be, you know, Collins could be even Bembry who I like a lot, you know, a little bit on the, on the lower end and those guys. But for me, my, my, my sort of guy on this team is Prince. He's a three and D classic fits the profile type, but he's also kind of a sneaky little passer when he's uh, driving to the basket on mm-hmm. spot ups. You know, there's just there are a few like little things in his profile that uh, sort of help him stand out. So I I like him too. I guess then um, you're saying that if you could only pick one of of Prince and Collins to be on the team uh, for the long haul, it would probably be Prince for you, Brad. Harry, do you agree? Yeah, yeah, it would definitely be Prince. I, I love Prince. Um, honestly, that was the only reason I tuned into Hawks games last year because everything else was just a ugly mess. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it seems like, you know, he's he's slowly forming into a player that he could be. And like Brad said, like, Budenholzer does not play rookies. Um, so for him to crack the rotation during the playoffs and, and you know, get, get some time in there like that, the way that he did, um, you know, says a whole lot about him and his game. Yeah. Uh, let's talk real quick about Schroeder. Um because he's obviously a very divisive player, I would say, both nationally and locally. Um, mm-hmm. There's well, maybe maybe not divisive. Maybe it's all one way, uh, the opposite. No, way. it's divisive. It, it, it's divisive. It's totally divisive. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so what what do you what do you think uh, you need to see from him to feel a little better uh, for parents to feel a little better about his long term future uh, this year? It's really interesting because I've never been the hugest fan, but I have, you, you've seen a lot of growth in him and. Uh, the divisive part comes in because he's that prototypical guy who's filling up the stat sheet. Um, so casual fans really think he's better than he is. It's kind of what he, if you if you ask anybody that kind of does what we do, most people have a, a similar opinion, uh, and that he's sort of a fringy starter, like low end starter that does isn't quite as good as his numbers. But if you ask a casual fan, you know he he's, he averaged you know eighteen and seven last year, and that guy must be good. Uh, so it's one of those things where he's still young. There's there's real upside there. I think for me, uh, one of the my, my probably my, my most concerning thing from last year was that his defense fell off a cliff. In my opinion, as someone who watched every game, um, he was sort mm-hmm. of that pesky reputation guy defensively as a bench player. But in, in his first full time role as a starter, his defense fell off a ton. Uh, the metrics sort of followed that. You know, the Hawks were worse defensively with him on the court and better with him off the court. Um, and it wasn't like he was being replaced by this defensive specialist. You know, Malcolm Delaney was the backup point guard, and he's he's fine defensively, but he's not this like stopper type either. So. Uh, Schroeder, uh, there there are a lot of concerns. Whether he can be a consistent three point shooter is one of them. His defense is one of them. He's never been the greatest finisher around the rim. He's he's a blur. He's very fast. He's very athletic. He's very long for a point guard as well. So some of those scoop shots and get creative around the rim. But um, there's 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 three or four things that he's going to have to solidify in order to be to become that like top fifteen ish point guard. And that's a lot to ask from a guy who's already been in the league five years. I know he's young, but like at a certain point, you kind of are what you are. There's little things that you can uh, that you can tune up. I wouldn't be surprised if he sort of fixed one or two of those areas. But 
but he would have to hit uh, darn near all of them to be what I think Hawks fans want him to be. I think he could certainly be a starter for you long term. He's appropriately paid. It's a reasonable contract that, that they gave him on an extension. So that's that's a good thing to have a guy locked up if you can have an asset there. But I just don't see him being more than like a top, you know, 17 or 18 point guard at any point, which, again, is fine unless that's your best player, because if that's your best player, you're in trouble. Right. <laughs> yeah, I I am. I think I have a theory that point guards nowadays take longer to develop. They're kind of a new big man and that used to be that oh it's you can't really judge a big guy until he's 25 plus or whatever that's what sort of the use big guys just take longer i have a theory that point guards are now that player i think we've seen a lot of point guards that have blossomed in their late 20s you look at bledsoe mike conley uh dragic um even kemba walker uh that class of players, Kyle Lowry, of course. Kyle Lowry, yeah. Yeah. So I just think that it's because of the way the game is played, it's just there's so much more for them to process. So if that's the case, I think there actually is some more room for growth from Schroeder. But I think the question is just is he mentally, is he willing to make these sort of changes or is he so stubborn in the way he plays that it's not going to happen? You know, that, that I think is the big question. But I, I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility that he. Can, is not done significantly improving, um, although he's been in the league five years. But that's that's just a crack theory. That's not like anything that I've really researched. So I guess we'll see. Um, let's get to some questions. We actually got a lot of questions uh, from folks about the Atlanta Hawks. Your team is interesting to a lot of people. Um, <laughs> so uh, some of these we've hit at, but I, I want to make sure. Let's get some quick hitters. We got a couple questions about Kent Bazemore, one from uh, Corbin Ford-Watson, one from Min Timberwolves. Uh how is he regarded by the Hawks right now? Like he, like Harry, like overrated, underrated. Like, are they looking? Does he have any trade value? Is he a part of the long term future? Like, where exactly is Bazemore at this point? Uh, man, uh, Brad will tell you that I was much more patient on Bazemore than I think. I'm, I don't. I, would, I don't know if I'd say most people. I was more patient on Bazemore and you know reserved and like okay, like maybe there's still something there than Brad was. Brad, am I am I right on that? Um, maybe I think that's probably that's probably fair. I, I think uh, you are one of the higher people on him that I've come across. I feel like yeah, I've been at least I was. Too recently, I'm, so I'm trying not to give that up. Yeah. <laughs> last season changed that because um, I think Brad, you and I did a pod before the season started, and I was like, all right, you know what? Like we saw some good out of Baysmore. Like you know he'll get some more touches next year. Like he's you know he's going to take another another step here, and he made me look like an idiot. Um, <laughs> and so like I mean. Last year, I mean, he had some ugly, ugly games, man. Um, I think he was trying to do a little bit too much and live up to, you know, his his, his new contract. Um, but I think, you know, kind of like Schroeder, he is what he is at this point. I think, well, let me take that back. I think Schroeder can still still grow. Um, but Baysmore, I don't know how much value there is there. Um, you know, unfortunately, he's one of the better players on the team. Um, but I just... Last year was ugly for me. Um, I think Brad will tell you. I mean, he he reads the Petrie hoops mentions more than I do nowadays. Um, <laughs> man, I mean, some of those mentions could get hot, man. When when Bazemore was having some of those those slumps, I mean, you know, I mean, shoot, Brad, you, know, you let let him know. Let, I mean, let him know, man, because I mean, I saw it. It was it was bad. <laughs> yeah, they listen. I mean. The problem is, is the contract. We've seen this trope, you know, everywhere around the league, but especially in Atlanta, you know, guys are judged by their contracts. Um, mm. And it, it often clouds judgment of fans, especially when you talk about uh, there's a difference between w- whether a guy is a good value on their contract versus whether the guy is a useful player or not. And I think, you know, Bazemore is clearly overpaid. I don't think anybody would dispute that. Um, and that's kind of uh, the party line for most guys that, that were free agents in that, in that particular summer. Um, but his, you know, he's still a useful basketball player. He had a really, really tough start to last year, which made things a lot worse because if the season started in January, I think Hawks fans would have a different opinion. They might still not be super high on him, but he was much, much better from about January on. He shot the ball better. Uh, I still think he's he's the same guy he was. It's just that people people just assume that because the Hawks paid him a lot of money for four years, he was going to be a different guy. And he was already 26, 27 years old when it happened. So I think, I mean, I guess some reasonable projection would have been in order, but I think a lot of people, at least casual people wanted there to be this jump that happened because they paid him. And that's just not, it's not realistic. So I think at the end of the day, he's a very useful wing player for basically any team in the league. If he was on any team in the league, short of maybe golden state, he would be at the rotation for everybody. He's, he's fine. He, he's, he may not be a full-time starter for a lot of teams in the league, but he would be useful. 
Um, for the Hawks, you could argue pretty easily right now that he's the best wing on the roster, at least today. You know, Torian Prince, you'd rather have for the future. There's no question about that. But um, you mm-hmm. could probably argue that Bazemore is the team's best wing right now today in 2017. So he's fine. Uh, he's overpaid. That's sort of the thing. Like, it's it's all about perception. And uh, everybody loved Bazemore two years ago. And now everybody, I, I don't, you know you know what I mean? Not Not everybody, but a lot of people don't like him anymore because he makes a lot of money. That's kind of all it comes down to. In a way, he was cursed and blessed with the being a free agent at a certain time. It's it's not a shocking thing. I mean, a lot a lot, a lot, of, a lot of players are the same way. I mean, Evan Turner was suddenly a fan favorite in Boston. Now everybody hates him again in Portland because yeah. he makes $70 million. Well, it'd be nice if we didn't tie our opinions to how much someone is paid, but in a salary cap league, it's hard to avoid that. Um, mm-hmm. this, this is from Schroeder Goat. Uh, maybe, Brad, you can shine some light on this. Like, what exactly was the off-court locker room issue with Dwight Howard that caused him to trade. I mean, they took back more salary in that trade. Like, so they were very eager to get rid of him. Like what, what exactly was the problem there? This is a great question. It's one I've been asked a ton too. Like there wasn't that one public incident that got out about Dwight Howard. And I think that has caused a lot of people to ask what happened because normally when you see that kind of pure salary dump that wasn't even a salary dump trade to get a guy off the roster you would assume it'd be tied to one particular thing and i don't really i never have found that I never i'm not really even heard that off the record that there was one blow up it's just that i think for me the big thing is that dwight is like the perfect guy you don't want in the locker room if you're rebuilding mm-hmm. he's a guy who is an established veteran who thinks the way he thinks you know his exit interview was kind of famous last year and that he was uh, already complaining about lack of touches and it was very uh very negative. I won't use stronger language, but it was certainly uh, a, a disturbing exit interview um, to the point where like he think I, th- I think my overarching take on Dwight is that he still thinks that he's Dwight Howard from five years ago or even eight years ago. He's not he, he's not realized yet that he's not that guy, especially offensively. He still wants his touches. Um, he just thinks that he's the man and, he, and he's not that anymore. He's a supporting piece. He's still a useful piece on the court in a lot of ways, especially when he's dialed in. But even as the season went along last year, um, his burst sort of went away by the playoffs. He looked like he was uh, holding a, uh, he was, he was walking around with, with a weight on his back. Yeah. Um, and listen, he's, he's, he has a ton of mileage. So there's, there's a lot of different factors there. I don't think there's one particular thing. I just, I just think that you, you don't want that headstrong, um, former star that thinks he's better than he is. Um, especially with a history of locker room issues. You know, this is the fourth team in a row that he's left under not great circumstances. Right. Um, so you don't really have to have that smoking gun for me. It was more a situation where, they made a bad trade. I mean, just dollars and cents of it all. Taking back Miles Plumley was not great. I understood the resistance to it, but I just think Travis Schlenk, whether it was part of the deal of him taking over or what, his first priority seemed to be we cannot have Dwight around, and that kind of speaks for itself, I think. Did you see the? Was that the interview where he said I got to shoot more threes this year? Wasn't there like a kick? No, or was that something else? <laughs> I just no, no. That was uh, he. He did sort of a national media tour uh, in 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 June. Um, when before he was traded, he did sort of this national media tour on ESPN. Well, I guess he was uh, he was sort of bored, um, which is fine. But no, I'm talking about his actual exit interview, right? Right. Um, oh, I see from the team saying. last year okay. with like post 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 uh, post playoff loss, and uh, he was. I mean, nobody's happy after a playoff loss, but it was kind of all about how he was misused and how he was told one thing and one thing happened another way. Like, right. I, I actually would encourage people to go watch it. It's, it's probably up somewhere. I can find it. Um, if you wanted to, it wasn't, it wasn't crazy. He didn't say one crazy statement. It was more of this, uh, there was this whole pattern is about, about 10 minutes of, uh, really, really frustrating, um, things to say after playoff loss, he kind of made it about him more than anything, which is, right. it was frustrating. Uh, and a lot of people were already misdirected. anger. yeah, I think uh, people, also he wasn't had, happy. Had a- I was going to say that the relationship with Dennis Schroeder was was very toxic. Brad, was that the the Memphis game um, where they where they really butted heads, and I think Schroeder got benched for the rest of the game? Yeah, that was that was the one thing that actually took place publicly that anybody could point to was that Howard and Schroeder had a little bit of tension. That was kind of early, but and and, and it never really bubbled up again um, publicly. But yeah, that's the one thing that was sort of out there. I think Zach Lowe even reported on it a little bit. That's kind of said that those guys didn't see eye to eye. I mean, you could predict that based on how both players play on the court and both, <laughs> yes. both players are off the court. I mean, that was that's the least surprising thing ever that they couldn't get along. Uh, Harry, I'm going to make you answer this one from Jonesy uh, two by four Ali Baba Jones on Twitter. Worst, I love I love Joe. I love Tyler Jones. By the way, that's Tyler great. Jones. He's, he's great okay, on I apologize. He's great. Tyler Jones <laughs> asks. <laughs> he asks worst basketball viewing experience for Hawks fans. A Josh Smith mid-range jumper or a Dwight Howard post-up? 
Oh, Lord. Oh, <laughs> what was worse? Pick one of those. <laughs> oh, my God. I'd almost rather watch the Super Bowl again. I mean, goodness gracious. I, I'm going to go with the Josh <laughs> Smith mid-range jumper. Um, just because we had to watch it for so many years, man. I mean, goodness. You could literally hear, like, the, the gasp and the sighs in Phillips Arena, man. I mean, that there was there was nothing like that. As, as much as I'm glad that that's over, I kind of miss that just because it's like, oh, my goodness, like so many people know that this is not good. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, like that that's how, you know, I mean, like, obviously, none of us liked it when Dwight was posting up. I mean, except for some of the you know, casual fans are like, oh, shoot. All right. We got Dwight Howard. Nah, man. Everybody knew that if Josh Smith was going to shoot anything like even remotely close to the elbow, like, oh, it was just not good. Not good. Not good. Not good. I miss the groan that would always erupt whenever he was winding up because he also had that super slow release. Right. So there was plenty of time for people to come to terms with like, ah, he's shooting this time, (laughs) you know. And so there was this pointers like 18 seconds to go in the shot clock. Like, oh, yeah. (laughs) And it would always be the same noise. It was just this uneasy crescendo that would develop at the beginning and then it would reach a, a heat point when he bricked it <laughs> it was it was one of my more um, enjoyable moments of watching hawks games at phillips on league pass was that little those little stages um we've gotten this far and we haven't talked about the question we ask everyone on this show which is you uh you're on your uh, you're on vacation on your banana boat kind of like uh, lebron d wade uh cp and all that and it's you and three Hawks players from uh, from history, the history of the franchise. Who are the three you want with you on the boat at that time, Brad? It's a very challenging question. Uh, the Hawks are sort of notoriously boring, um, so it makes it even harder because some of my favorite guys, um, I always enjoy those guys, but they weren't exactly uh, exp- you know inspiring or you know hilarious and like that. So I'm going to go off the beaten path with two of mine. One of them is the Kimmy Matumbo, yeah. Who, uh, is he's just very entertaining in general. His voice is uh is fantastic. We all kind of know that. His personality has always been uh, interesting. I've always enjoyed his work. Um, my second one would be Boris Diaw. Um, oh yeah, I guess he was Boris, technically a hawk for a little bit. He was a hawk for a while. I mean, they had uh, they yeah. Billy Knight wanted, wanted wanted him to play point guard. Yeah, he was a he was a Hawks draft pick. They thought he was a point guard, and he ended up playing center just a few years later. So just picture that. It was he was there for two years, right? Yeah, I think that's right. Maybe it might have been three, but yeah, we'll, I don't, we'll, we'll allow because he retired this week or went to France or whatever. Well, and listen, he was he was he was he was a Hawks first round draft. <laughs> okay, pick. all right, all right, I'll allow it. I'll allow uh, it. He, it was his formative his formative years. Obviously, Boris is very entertaining, so that that speaks for itself. My third one's a current player, which is I'm sure people are going to find interesting. I'm going to say Malcolm Delaney. Okay. Um, Malcolm Delaney is tremendous on Twitter. Uh, he does not care at all. He will go after anyone that he wants to go after. Um, he says whatever he wants at all times which I really appreciate. I also like his game, which helps, but uh, I think Malcolm will be a lot of fun to hang out with. He seems, he thinks he seems to be wonderful based on uh, what my interactions with him in, in the locker room and on Twitter. I just think he's, he's funny and he just will say anything. He'd, he'd be, he'd be a good friend to have. I'm looking at some of his tweets. Uh, is there like a greatest hits? Cause I was not aware of Malcolm Delaney. Uh, <laughs> well, you, you wouldn't be, it's, it's sort of, it's his stuff is sort of not, um, not big enough to, garner the national following but if you have to follow hawks players as i do on twitter okay um he just is he's willing to kind of go back at fans and not in a uh over the top way but uh he's just very dismissive he also did a cool thing and raised some money for the houston floods and that kind of stuff so he i, I just like malcolm uh, he's one of my i mean and listen all the big names are not fun i mean i could say paul Millsap, who i right, really right, really right. like to talk to but like Paul is kind of a chill guy. I've always liked Paul in the locker room and just in general. But you know he's not exciting at all. Right. Same with same with Al Horford. So uh, you know I'll, <laughs> I'll go off the beaten path with my three. There there they are. Yeah, uh, I'm surprised. There's one name that I'm very surprised you didn't mention. I wonder if Harry will mention him and for his banana boat. Uh, I've got one name. I've got one name that. Well, I've got two. Well, I was going to say Dennis Schroeder. I also had Matumbo. Um, but the one name that I have that you guys probably didn't might not have expected was Deshaun Stevenson. Oh wow! So you he, need he none of you said the name. Games I thought. His career. Yeah. <laughs> Hawks legend Deshaun Stevenson. Deshaun Stevenson. Neither you once Neek. Okay, I, I thought about Neek. I've hung out with Neek plenty because uh, he is the, he is the analyst um, for the TV side, still for the Hawks. So he's around plenty. I've talked to Neek quite a bit. He would certainly be a good answer. I thought it would be too obvious, which is why I didn't say it. Okay. Uh, he's hilarious. Uh, I don't. I don't think Neek is particularly insightful, honestly, as an on-air personality. But if you talk to him off the air, he's more candid. 
uh, and pretty pretty amusing and just kind of he's a very cool guy. I don't really think he's the I don't think he's the best on air analyst in the world. Um, but if you get him off that, he's very he's very entertaining and I I like people. I mean, isn't he perfect for this sort of thing, a banana boat, where you're just like, you need someone to help you get into things, and you need someone to people to flock around oh, and yeah. just have charisma and, you know, just be like, yo, I'm hanging out with Dominique Wilkins. I guess for Brad, it's like sort of a more regular thing. Um, and I, no, I think, you're, I think you're right. I think you're. I think he's he's the right answer, and you're smarter than I am, Mike, which is why I, I'm not, uh, I try to It's I try not to like a basketball cute. thing that I'm like, I don't think I'm a smarter vacationer than most people. <laughs> I think you're giving me way too much credit. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Harry, did, should, would he be on yours now? That uh, now that yeah, I mean I, that that would be fine. I, I would I would uh, you know hang on the banana boat and eat. I mean you know that's that's not a bad choice at all. You know, but I think I thought I would take uh, you know diet J.R. Smith and Deshaun Stevenson and you know <laughs> diet uh, you know let's, let's 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 really get wild. You know, it's, it's, are you sure that J.R. Smith does not diet Deshaun Stevenson? I'm very familiar he with Deshaun's be. work, and uh, <laughs> I hate to say that. Yeah, we could have gone we could have gone J.R. Ryder. There was a J.R. Ryder era right. at one point with the Hawks. That would have been a lot of fun. Jason Terry played for them. I feel like they've had more interesting people than you remember. Uh, Jason I Terry. I mean, there was, I, almost, I, almost, I, almost said, I almost said Rasheed Wallace, but I thought you might. Yeah, that's, that that's sort of cheating. <laughs> you can't pick a guy that was on your team for like two days. <laughs> like that's For not... a week. It was, it, was a, it was a great week, though. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Yeah, that's kind of cheating. Um, well, I'm curious what Hawks fans would say. I mean, Dikemi is the other obvious one, I think. I actually, I mean, you, yes. you guys have... We, nobody said Pistol Pete. I guess that's going back a little too far. Um, you know, is there's anyone else from the '80s era teams uh, that was fascinating. Spud Webb. Uh, I feel like they've had a lot of interesting players run, run through for a team that uh, is maybe not the most uh, exciting in NBA history. But no, I'm curious what Hawks fans will think. Um, all right, let's get to the end of this. Um, there is one question I we didn't ask that I want to ask. Uh, it's sort of a variation of what I've asked. Uh, we asked earlier for Hawks fans, but this is before we get to predictions and sort of lead in. Courtney Kennedy asks um, something that I think is a little dismissive on its face, but I think is actually a good way to end this, which is what if you're not a Hawks fan, if you're just a basketball fan, like why watch the Hawks this year? What is there? Um, he asks, what is the reason to even watch the Hawks at all this season? But I want you guys to sell me on like what, why should the Hawks earn? Our hard-earned league pass attention. Like, what about the Hawks? Is is for a national audience? Maybe is worth watching. Ooh, uh, I need to come up with an answer to this. I'll, I'll say that <laughs> just in general because okay, I, so I, not I, an easy I run an Atlanta Hawks blog. I run an Atlanta Hawks blog. So, All right, so uh, Harry, what do you think? Figure who, that out. Who do you think? What's a reason for someone like uh, who's an NBA fan to watch the Hawks this year? I mean, for me, I, I love the, the beauty about League Pass and just the NBA in general um, that I enjoy that you, in my opinion, you can't really find in other sports is that like you can take, you know, enjoyment in watching one player on one team. Um, you know, for me, like I've, I've loved watching the Bucks the past few years because of Giannis and, you know, just watching him grow. Um, and that's not to say that he's going to be the same type of player, obviously, but um, if you're a fan of basketball and you like watching the game, I mean, tune in to the Hawks, watch Torian Prince. I mean, you know, watch him where he's at now. And, you know, if hopefully he grows into the player that we all think he can be, um, you know, and just enjoy to see what he's going to do. I mean, he's going to have a bigger role this year. He's going to have more playing time. Obviously, the team's not going to be good, um, but he's going to be one of the highlights of it. Um, so if, if you're a fan of some basketball and you and you like a like a good, talented player who, you know, puts puts his whole effort in every night, um, Torian Prince is your guy. It's going to feel cool also if he breaks out and you're like, oh, yeah, I knew that dude was going to be good way back when, when nobody was paying attention. Uh, exactly. Ex- exactly. I have I have a basketball diehard answer. Okay. Um, the casual the casual fan answer is harder. It's, I think I like Harry's uh, approach to that as well as, you know, John Collins being another guy to follow. But the basketball diehard answer is that Mike Budenholzer is really good at his job. And I think this team is going to look a lot more like a Mike Budenholzer team than last year's team did. Um, so, I mean, it won't be the 60 win beautiful passing game because that's the one thing that, that, they, that they still don't have is all these great passers, but there'll be a space floor and there'll be like, you know, very, very strong ATO plays. And like, there'll be stuff out there that you can see what Bud's not going to tank. Let's just say that he's a, I think he's a top 10 coach. He's very good at his job. And if you enjoy the, 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 uh, sort of the intricacies, that's the word I'm trying to use, <laughs> um, of, uh, seeing a guy try to coach above his talent. Um, that could be a lot of fun because the you know, Bud's first year uh, sort of harkening back to that Al Horford missed like 70 games and he was the best player. And Bud sort of carried a team that had no business going to the playoffs to the playoffs. And they almost um, beat the this Pacers. This won't be that. And also, yeah, they, they should almost, have probably beaten the Pacers. 
Yeah, they they were uh, in control at times in that series as, as an eight seed. So that was uh, it won't be quite that mm-hmm. good. I don't think as the talent's even worse now, but it'll be a little bit like that. And I I think I, that's the one sort of fun element if you uh, like just the sort of the diehard basketball stuff. Also, tune in to listen to Sir Foster. You can hear uh, all, oh, the, yeah. all the latest oh, yes. hits of course. You know, on the organ. You know, so what that's is great, the one song he hasn't played that you would like to hear? Is there an answer to that? I mean, he plays everything. I mean, like he's on top of it, man. It's it's really impressive. I mean. You know, I love all my hip hop hits. And I mean, every time I'm watching the Hawks game, if there's a song that I'm feeling right at the moment, I mean, he's playing it, you know, <laughs> as Dennis Schroeder dribbles up the court and, you know, passes it off to somebody's foot. So <laughs> love it. Yeah, he's all. Sir is also a great guy. I've, I've met and caught up with him a bunch of times. He's he's really fun. And I think he uh, he just gets it. So, yeah, I'm sure there's a I'm not hip enough to know a song. Harry's definitely the uh, the cooler, younger guy that would know the songs. <laughs> Um, but uh, I, I'm the oldest. I'm the oldest 31 year old on the, on the planet. So uh, I'll say that. But no, I, I think that's, that's a good call. The Sir Foster is tremendous and worth it. Just I, I wish you could almost meet mute everything but him as you watch the games. Like just have a Sir Foster channel would be good. Well, you know um, that they, they, they now offer uh, the you if you pay like a certain amount more, you can get just the live arena feed during commercials. So instead of getting uh, the three league pass ads that you always get. You can actually get to see the uh, what what happens in the commercials, and for most teams, I feel like that's a waste of time. But maybe for Atlanta, if you could just get like just Atlanta's commercials and to listen to Sir Foster, that actually would be pretty interesting. You know, so yeah, sign me up for that. <laughs> All right, yeah, so same. so going back to what Brad was saying about uh, Coach Bud and you know being able to squeeze a lot out of a limited roster, does that mean you think they're going to win more games than I think a lot of people think? Like, how many wins are you looking at right now? As a best case, we do like best case, worst case scenarios a lot. And I think it's fairly clear that the best case scenario would be for the team to struggle and get a high draft pick. So how many wins do you think Bud will actually squeeze out of this roster? It's it's weird. I, I've picked 26 wins um, on Nate Duncan's podcast and on, on my show. So I'll stick with that for now, which is over the Vegas number. Um, barely. Um, I think he, I think this team could win if they wanted to. And if Bud is allowed to just. Um, try to maximize and play the best team every night. They could certainly get into the sort of very low 30 range. I think if they wanted to that, like, you know, leaning on the veterans more often, I would not like that. Cause I think I'm with you that, you know, the best case scenario is them winning less and uh, playing the young guys. But I think if Bud, if, if you took away any restriction on him and just said, win games, I think you could certainly get into the low thirties potentially. Um, I'm going to say 26 though. The worst case though, if especially if shooter goes down, I think this could be a 19 win team pretty easily. It, it could go very, very wrong um, if they wanted if they wanted to play the young guys and sort of go full into the tank and had an injury or two. Um, but I think I'll split the difference. I'll go 26. That might be a best case scenario if you think of it a different way. No, I'm, I'm really with you is. all the way. I, I, I think. <laughs> I mean, I, I've, I've always said that like winning, winning four. My, my party line has been winning 14 is what is better than winning 34. Yep. This year, and I will stick to that all day. And they have the lottery as the way it is for at least one more year. So this is the year to mm-hmm. get your get your real tanking. And if this lottery reform passes, bring me Marvin Bagley the third. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> Harry, do you agree with that win total area? Or do you see them higher or lower? I think Brad. Uh, Brad you know, hit the nail right on the head. And and the key to this is like, all right, are they going to let them squeeze out everything they can? Because if they do, I think, yeah, you know, like I think Boonholzer could squeeze out 30 wins. Do I think it's going to happen? Absolutely not. Am I rooting for that to happen? Absolutely not. Um, In in a perfect world, uh, the Hawks will win 19 games. I think they'll be around 25. um, And I, that's, that's going to be my number 25. I'm actively rooting for 19 or less. And I'm rooting for that number one pick. (laughs) There is a non-zero chance that they make the playoffs. I'm just going to say it. Uh, just because I agree. Oh, I, just because I the, because Detroit is kind of a mess. The Sixers, I think everyone's really excited about them, but I think it might take another year for them to get there. I see seven legit playoff teams if you add Charlotte in the mix. Um, and other than those teams, there's always someone that's a little better than we think, and there's a vacuum. And I think that would not be good for the Hawks. Uh, unless I do think I do think there, I think you're right in that I think the Vegas odds were like they were like 14 to one to make the playoffs. I, I think that's not crazy. I think there's probably like a five to ten percent chance maybe mm-hmm. if they uh, again if they they'd have to let Bud do it. I think if they were hovering around anywhere close to 500 in February, I think Schlenk's going to sell off parts in a hurry. 
Like I think you'll see a Dwayne Dedman trade or you'll see a Arizona Soba trade guys that right. uh, are not long-term. I think he would do his best to sabotage that um, in, in the best, in the best way. Yeah. And in a little bit of a basketball nerdy way, it's, it's significant that they have one year with player options, right? That makes it so that they cannot veto a trade. Right. Yeah. And uh, the only one that can be vetoed is uh, Ilya Sova's can be vetoed. Oh, he's, okay. he's on a pure one year. He, he's on a pure one year deal, but Dedman and Muscala have the one plus ones. Which is significant. Um, so, yeah, they again, can't veto. They, yeah, they can't veto. So that um, that's significant. I think that's something to watch for. Absolutely. I mean, even if they're good or even if they're bad, you know, that that could totally be. They a, should still do it. Right. Yeah. So that's significant. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, that's the Atlanta Hawks uh, for a team that is really going to struggle this year. We've sure got a lot of great insight and interest into how the franchise works and how this year is going to go. You guys are terrific. Thank you to Harry Lyles Jr., Brad Roland. Uh, where can they find you? I know, Harry, you're involved in the sport that uh, I believe the local team had some sort of bad moment in last year. That's sort of where your <laughs> focus is right now, right? Yeah, that's that's the uh, the main focus, the beautiful and, and fun-loving NFL. And Brad, where can they find you, And uh, whether it's on the site or whether it's everywhere else? You're kind of all over the place as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, Peachtree Hoops, for sure, for all the Hawks content. Uh, my Twitter is at BT Roland. I also write for uh, Dime Mag over at Uproxx sometimes. And, uh, you know, just kind of bouncing around the league, uh, mostly Hawks stuff. Um, but, yeah, you can find me out there. And uh, occasionally I, I will try to talk Harry into writing something for Peachtree Hoops. So hopefully if he has <laughs> takes, he'll fire them my way. You also have the Locked On Hawks podcast as well. Where you oh, yeah, that's people. probably something good to plug in this audio, <laughs> on this audio medium. Yes, the, Lock, the Locked On Hawks podcast. You want to listen to me talk about the Hawks. And this very exciting basketball team this year, uh, five days a week, it's going to be challenging, to be sure. But Can't we'll wait. be there. Well, you know, there aren't going to be a lot of other people doing that, so you definitely have cornered the market on being able to talk <laughs> about them regularly, and I think that will that will be helpful. Uh, all right, yes. well, that's that. Uh, we got Memphis coming up next, and then we are starting to get into some of the heavy hitters, uh, including Oklahoma City, which is a team I'm very interested in. This is number 19 of 30. We're almost there. The season is 34 days away now 33 days away so we're getting close uh reminder that you can listen of course to your favorite team if they were worse than the hawks last year we've already covered them with uh, members of our SB Nation community you can listen to those back on the limited upside feed ben will be back next week until then though this is the limited upside podcast <laughs>